Okay. We're going to be in 1 Peter. It's where my messages are going to come from. I can guarantee you up front that I will not cover every verse in 1 Peter. That would, in four weeks, that would be a massive undertaking. First uh, Peter's got a lot in it, and I would not want to strive to cover that all in four weeks. But um, as the Lord lays on my heart, I have four parts that I plan to, to deliver. First one today, do I have a title? I think, uh, did we put the title up front? What did I say it was? See, I decided at the last minute, and I couldn't remember the name of my, my own message. But that's because many times I can't figure out the name of my message as I'm studying and working. But this, uh, the call fits it. As we read through and study some of 1 Peter, we're probably going to get through about uh, five and a half verses of 1 Peter, and that will be it for today. It may go a little longer than that. That doesn't mean there isn't more verses I'm covering. I'm just, that's all of this passage I'll cover. So we're going to begin by reading those first five verses, just so you get a handle on those first five or six verses. And uh, then we'll, we'll uh, stop and we'll go into them each in a bigger way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, are through, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. I'll end there because the next time I preach, I'm probably going to do the next section, and we'll deal with that at that time. This is about a new relationship with the Lord. This is about recognizing what he's done, and he starts out by letting you know who he is. Um, I love that Peter comes right out and tells you who he is, and there's lots of discussion. It's Interesting, if you read all the information everybody wants to give about it, there are those who are questioning whether Peter really wrote this because they said it was written too intelligently and Peter was a fisherman. And uh, so they didn't see the ability for him to do this, but others thought that over the years, by the time he wrote this, he'd probably been in contact with enough different people. He had better English and was more able to express himself, or English, <laughs> Greek, <laughs> sorry, that's bad, you know, it just came right out, um, uh, but uh, had studied more, understood more, but keep in mind, the scriptures aren't given by man just making them up, they're given by God, 
And so it really doesn't matter who God uses to write them. He's very capable of making sure they get it right and then it's done at a stage and, a, and an ability for all to understand. And so here, Peter, who defines himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's important because Peter defining himself as an apostle is telling you that he has some weight. He, he is somebody God chose to deliver his word, which is new. This is not, uh, he's not delivering the Old Testament, he's delivering new writing. And he wants you to be aware that as he writes this, he has the authority to do this. And so he tells you that, and he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, who we know, and they knew then, uh, those who loved him, that he was alive. Jesus Christ was alive and well. He had resurrected from the dead. So as he goes on, he goes, to God's elect, to those chosen by God, exiles scattered throughout these provinces. Now, all these provinces, I don't have to go through all the names again because you won't know them anyway, most of you. But it's the upper part of, of uh, Turkey. If you looked on the map at Turkey, it'd be the upper side of Turkey, or I don't know whether that's the north side there or not. It probably is. But it's the upper side of Turkey. All those are provinces there. And uh, he's, he's talked, that's who he sends this to. He says, those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Now, those three steps are, are pretty important steps. What's funny is in Ephesians 1, 4, there's a little more said about the choosing of God. He says, chosen before creation, before the foundation of the earth, chosen before creation. Um, those things don't counteract the fact that the message is delivered to all and that all have to respond to it. It's just that God, in his plan, has already designed these things. And he's making sure that you're aware these are, these are his chosen people. Now, what were they chosen to do? To carry his message. They were chosen for a purpose. And as are you chosen for a purpose because you're part of these. And how do we come? He says, okay, I chose you, but how do you get here? How do you get in a relationship with me? Well, he takes the first step. He makes a choice, but he also extends and draws you. He does this work through the Spirit, and that's the sanctifying work of the Spirit to begin to open your mind and help you to understand the truth about the gospel. You all could probably give me a definition of the gospel. I almost thought I might do that today, pick on some of you to give me a definition and see how they line up. But as I thought about it, I thought, well, first guy that does a pretty good job, everybody's just going to repeat it. So I won't get what you'd actually say. I'd get what the best one was. And so I decided that wasn't worth it. But the bottom line is the gospel has to be delivered and the spirit has to work. And for the spirit to work, the spirit's going to work to bring you into that relationship and set you apart to God. Sanctification is a process of setting us apart and helping us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. 
And so this sanctifying work of the Spirit begins the process of that growth by bringing you into a relationship with God. The third part of it is that's the work of the Spirit to bring us to obedient, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. What did Christ do? You've all heard this. Uh, Greg preached the messages that helped us understand Christ went to the cross and died. He shed his blood. He carried our sin to the cross with him. His own father turned his back on him. He took care of our sin and then was buried in a tomb. And he's still there. No, he's gone. He left, he rose. And even in here, that's there. And Greg did a great job of reminding you he's resurrected, he's not in the grave, he's alive. That's an exciting thought for us, or at least it should be. I would have a hard time if somebody came up and said to me, oh, you know, Christ rose from the dead. <laughs> now, Christ rose from the dead. It's, a, it's amazing. The Savior did the work, finished it, and rose from the dead. And we have to come to a place where we see what he's done and we are obedient to that information. And what do we do with that? We believe. We take a step and we believe in what he offers us. He offers us something that no one else can offer us. And that freedom through Christ is amazing. Here, these three things are written so that he identifies with these believers who are exiles out here. Keep in mind, at that time, people left Jerusalem, left other places, and continued to move further and further away because they were being persecuted. And so they were exiles in countries that they didn't even belong to many times. And so here they are out there, and he's writing to them, and he's... he's setting up a way to discuss things. He's got to relate, right? Can't just open up a message without relating. And so he relates. He says, I'm an apostle, and God the Father chose us, and God the, and, and the Spirit set us apart, and, and we were obedient to the work of Jesus Christ. So we're all in this together. Couldn't I say that here? For most of us, I could say the same thing. I hope all of us that are here, that I could say exactly the same thing, and you all say, yeah, yeah, I'm in that group. I'm in that group with you. So we have a foundation to start our discussion at. And that's what he's doing. He's getting this thing set up, starting a discussion, and then he, he adds that one phrase that almost every writer adds, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, here's a good place I could ask a question. What's grace? Anybody can answer. Anybody know what grace is? Which one? Unmerited favor. Okay, unmerited favor and 
Greg back there said God's riches at Christ's expense, which is an acrostic we often use. It's this, it's something freely given that we can't earn. And here it's past the point of just, of just coming to Christ. Now it's our daily need for grace to continue to live for God. And so it's a part of a greeting. Grace and peace. Those are two pretty nice things, aren't they? What a nice greeting. Maybe we should start practicing that, you know, walking up to each other and saying, grace and peace in abundance to you. That'd be kind of a cool greeting, wouldn't it? That's better than, hey, how you doing? Because <laughs> what do most people do if you say, how you doing? Huh? Maybe you say, hey, <laughs> hello, I'm fine. What's fine? My wife came up and said, hi, I look, and I said, you look fine. She'd go change her clothes again. Or she'd be disgruntled with me because I didn't say she looked great. I know she's looking at me like that wouldn't happen, but you know that she wants more than fine, right? Everybody does. Everybody does. So here we, we go a little further. A little further. If we start doing this, what a nice thing to say. Grace and peace to you. In abundance. We're hoping God will give that to us because we need the grace. And we would sure like to be at peace. And we have a God who can supply both. Now that's just his introduction in a sense to get us set up for what's to come. Because now he's going to start talking to believers. Keep in mind all this is for believers and I'm going to do an aside in the process to talk to anybody or to help you see a way to talk to anybody who needs Christ. I'm going to share some other verses along in the process and help you see how you can present the gospel. Because he's going to present it, but in a way that you already know. He, he assumes you know certain things, so he doesn't have to say everything. Did you ever talk to somebody like that? They say just enough to, you can say, oh, I know what he's talking about. My wife will say that to me sometimes. I haven't got finished yet. I know what you're saying. Because she knows where I'm going. She knows, we got it, you know. She knows where I'm going, so sometimes she doesn't, but most of the time she does. Knows where I'm going. And uh, none of you ever struggle with communicating, do you? Not at all. I bet nobody here ever has a struggle in communication. My wife and I sometimes struggle with it. And so he sets up things so he can talk to you about things, and he assumes you know certain things. So the very next passage, I love the way he starts this passage. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you could put like eight exclamations after that, you'd probably get the intention. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is important. Our God is important. Praise be to him. Praise be. We sing praises up here. Uh, I was reading the other day in, my, in the psalm. He says, you ought to praise the Lord from, a, from a, your heart towards God. 
Sometimes as I sing up here, I'm thinking, am I praising him from my heart? Or am I just singing something I know? I try to stay in touch with that. I have to be careful about how much. My sister has to, too. In case you haven't ever seen her, she'll get too into the song. Next thing you know, she can't sing because she's got tears in her eyes and her throat's constricting. You know, so you got to kind of hit it on the border so you can still sing and, and, and get excited at the same time. But here, you can just say it. This is out loud. Just praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we're just going to stop there for a second. He's given us new birth. Now, all of you probably can remember the discussion he had with Nicodemus. And he said, you have to be born again. Nicodemus is saying, how am I going to get back in that womb again to get re-delivered? And, of course, he's not talking about getting back in the womb. He's talking about being born into a, a spiritual relationship with God. He's, he's looking for change in us by getting into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have to do it by being born again. We have to be born into that through Jesus Christ and what he's done. And so he says, we have this new birth. What's that new birth do for us? Well, we're not going to go on real quick here. We're going to move back to a verse that I talked about a little bit earlier in Romans. Romans chapter 5. You'll recognize the verses. I'm going to, not reading verses you don't know. But these verses are part of what tell us what it means to come into a relationship with God. You see, he says, verse 6 of chapter 5, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't come early and he didn't come late. You know, Christ had a tendency to be right on, on time even when others thought he was late. It was just on time. We came at just the right time. When we were still powerless, we had no way to have this relationship with God. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. A situation like that might be a secret service might die for somebody they're protecting. Maybe one of us would, out of protecting somebody else, would die for them. But he's not talking about just dying for protection. He says, maybe you'd die for somebody who needed you to die for them, like maybe someone's on death row, and you want them to live through it, so you take their place. That would be dying for somebody who didn't deserve it, and you would die for them. That's what Christ did. He went beyond the point we would die for people. Perhaps for a good man, you would die for somebody. That's why he says it that way. It's unlikely any of you are going to take the place of somebody on death row. I wouldn't take the place of somebody on death row. But perhaps for a good man, you would. And that's why he uses that example. Why? Because... 
He says next, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a pretty strong statement. That's an incredible thing for God to do. Because when you go back in the Old Testament, how many people are righteous? None. Not even one. None are righteous. How many seek after God? It says none. You keep looking at the scriptures. We were a mess. We had no hope. And it's at the right time that Christ came and died for the ungodly. For those who had no hope, had no ability to have a relationship with God, would not even be able to stand in God's presence because of his holiness and our unholiness. And so here he says, I want to give great praise to God and the Father because in his great mercy he's given us a new birth into a living hope. That word there is kind of neat, living. Not a dead hope. Not one that's worthless. A real hope. You know, I had a hope a lot of my life. Started really young. I wanted to fly. I don't mean like this. I mean in a plane. I wanted to get my license, wanted to fly. I had a hope that I would do that one day. I even talked to people about it, thought I might get it started, decided it was still too expensive. And now, I mean, it's like eight times more expensive than I would have done it in the first place. I should have done it back then. You know, that hope got smashed. I'm not going to fly while I'm here. On, well, I fly in other people's planes, but I don't fly myself. I'm hoping when I get to glory, I'll be able to do a lot more of that flying stuff, you know? Uh, probably not like Superman there either, but I'll be able to fly maybe. The bottom line is, I had no hope of getting that. Here he says it's a living hope. It's the real thing. Nothing can happen to this. It's a living hope that you grabbed a hold of. And that's what you're presenting to other people. A living hope. Not a false hope. Not a dead hope. Not some other counterfeit that they try to pass off as the real thing. But you have the real thing. And you can deliver it. In Romans chapter 6, he says, I have to remember my passage here, um, 19 through 23. He's using an example, and he's using it to express the change. But right at the end, he says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, Christ has paid the price because the wages are too expensive. If the wages of sin is death and judgment and sent to the lake of fire, I can't afford to pay for it. I can't afford it. I mean, maybe I could shove someone in before me and, and I might last a little longer. That's really a joke and none of you really quite jumped on that, did you? But some of my jokes aren't that good, but that's okay. It was funny to me. Um, the bottom line is, 
Christ died and he took care of this and he did it, took care of wages that we could never afford. And he cleansed us from all unrighteousness. That's the new birth he's talking about. He's given us new birth into a living hope. How did it happen? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We couldn't even talk about this if he hadn't risen. That was the exciting part about everything Greg taught, was he had to rise, and he did. And it gave us life. This could have never, he couldn't even have given us the offer without his resurrection, because it would have been the same as every other man. But he wasn't every other man. He was the God-man who died for us and rose from the grave to guarantee us life with God. So then he goes on and he says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. How do you like that inheritance? It can't go anywhere. You know, I have, I have money, probably some of you do. I have some money put away in a thrift savings. And I tell Anita every once in a while, if something happens to me, it's all yours. Well, theoretically. Something could happen to it. I have no guarantees that it will still be there when she needs it. She has no guarantees. But I tried to provide for her. But I have no guarantees. But what God guarantees, you can bet on. You can build your life around it. One day, you're going to see your inheritance. You're going to be there to enjoy it. And it can't go anybody. It will be revealed to us at that last time. It's kept in heaven for you. Another place reminds us that it's reserved in heaven for you. I used to talk about it. I think King James says reserved. I used to talk about it and say, you know, I worked for Holiday Inn. You got reservations for Holiday Inn. They were guaranteed reservations. I worked for that Holiday Inn. We packed it with people, especially during uh, skiing season because we were near the Poconos. And, you know, what would happen? About midnight, when it seemed like some people weren't going to show up, somebody would walk in and need a room. And we were instructed to sell them the room. Well, then what did we do when the people showed up who reserved the room? They didn't have one. A reservation here can get lost. You might get there and not have a room. And there may be no room in town. But when you get to heaven, your reservation's permanent. You won't have any trouble finding your reservation. It'll be there. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's kept there, your inheritance is kept in heaven, who through faith are shielded or kept by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, one day, he's coming for us. At that time, we'll get to see all of this. Until then, it's kept, and so are you by God until that day occurs. You're kept by him. 
you are in a permanent relationship with God. He presents this to them who are persecuted, could die from living for Christ. And he presents, look, don't worry, your reservation, your inheritance, your relationship with Christ is kept by the power of God. And you'll never lose it. And he'll never lose you. Those are two powerful truths. To know that he'll never lose your reservation. And he will never lose you. That's what he's presenting. You're set up. You're good. And the ultimate goal, the ultimate statement he makes is, in all this you greatly rejoice. And I stop there because that's really a response to all of what he just said. Then he talks about something more difficult, wants to discuss that a little bit. We're not going to do that today. You have a new birth. He gave us great mercy at that birth, a living hope, the work of Christ, punctuated with the resurrection of a risen Savior. It's an inheritance that can never spoil, never fade, and never perish. You know, you put a lot of stuff in the refrigerator. Does any of it last forever? <laughs> I think sometimes my wife questions me many times about what I'm getting out to eat. <laughs> That's how long has that been in there? Oh, I don't know, three, four weeks. <laughs> you sure it's still good? It smells good. <laughs> One time, she was away, and I got chicken out. It was chicken and gravy for biscuits, and it smelled fine to me, and I ate it, and I was deathly sick that night. I mean, I sweat. I was, oh, it was awful. I thought I was dying. And uh, she got home and she smelled that stuff and she said, how did you even get this near your nose? <laughs> Apparently I don't have one. <laughs> I thought it tasted just fine. So things spoil in a refrigerator. We can can stuff and you can open it up five years later and you probably shouldn't eat it. You know, it, things spoil, but in heaven, won't spoil. It won't become less than it was when it started. So it won't fade, and it will never perish. It's kept by God's power until the ultimate completion the last time when Christ returns. Now, in the process, he says, we have a new purpose then, a new life. And I want to share a few verses about that. We have a new life. We have a living hope. We're different now. Things have changed. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. I can actually quote those from the Old Testament, but I'll read them, I mean, from the Old Testament. I can quote those from the King James, but I can't quote them from the uh, New International Version, so I'll read them from the New International Version. As soon as I can get the pages pulled apart. New Bible, tough getting the pages apart. Here we go. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice he does several things there. One, he reminds you of who you are, raised with Christ. Therefore, set your affection on things above. But then he tells you something that you, we sometimes just don't get a hold of. You're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Without Christ, you live in a world that isn't following Christ. You do things that are not following Christ. You think in a way that Christ may not even want you to think, and not all of it's bad stuff. Sometimes it's, it's things we struggle with. Maybe it's, it's giving something more because God wants you to, but man, I just don't want to give that up. Maybe it's changing a lifestyle. Lately, I told my wife, God's just really been pressing on me that maybe I watch some movies I shouldn't watch. It's not that I watched terrible, terrible movies, but they're not things I need to see. Some of them may be sci-fi or fantasy, and, but they're weird fantasy or sci-fi, and maybe I shouldn't watch them. Maybe it's a waste of my time to be watching those things. Maybe there's other things I could be doing, and maybe that's what God wants me to change. It's different in everybody's life what God's working on, and I'm not, believe me, when I throw my finger out and say maybe, I'm not really pointing at anybody because I have a lot more fingers pointing at me, so I'm being really careful about that. Remember, though, God is working on us. He wants us to change. He wants us to grow. He wants to be all we need. Everything is about him. But that's hard because we spent most of our life being about us. I know how that is. I struggle all the time. I was in a store yesterday and struggled. I don't need to eat more, in case you haven't noticed. I don't need to eat more, and yet I get in a store where they're selling, you know, like Gabe's, where they sell some of these candies and things cheaper, and I keep seeing them. It just draws on my flesh. And I just want it. I like candy. I see some of you are laughing. You know what it's like. I like it. So I buy it. And then it gets home with me. And then guess who eats it? You can tell. <laughs> Shoes. We could talk about shoes, but I won't embarrass her over shoes right now. If you want to do that later, that's up to you. Um, that's a whole other story. You can talk to them about that one. But God wants us to get focused so that he is the center of our life and we are dead. Because you're at your best when you are everything God wants you to be and nothing that you used to be. You're at your best then. You're at your best because he has full control 
of you. And that's where you want to be. Because who else knows why he created you? Or how he created you? Or how to meet every need you have in a way that is beneficial to you? Who else knows those things? He does. So, since you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection is really your mind that creates your motion. Set your mind that creates your motions on things above and not on things of the earth, because when I look at things on the earth, I want them. When I look at him, he directs what I need instead of me. He changes things. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. Then we'll see our inheritance. I'm pretty excited about that. Romans 6, 8 reminds us that if we're free from sin, I won't probably be able to find that as quick as I want, but I'll get there in just a sec. There it is. Okay, he says, uh, using this example, he says, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. It basically, he says, how did that benefit you? What did you really get that was of any value by living unrighteously? Those things result in death, and you're ashamed of them. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, and that literally means bondservants, slaves, you're connected as a slave. You're willing to let God take over your life. Now that you've done that, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. What more do you want? If I'm not going to live through this time when I first came to the Lord, the next verse is what I heard. And her dad preached on that, and he had me lost. He told me how bad it could be, and I was 20 minutes of telling me what it meant, the wages of death. I decided I better eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow I perish. But then he preached the last half of that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He told me, that I could give up that old life and I could let God take over my life and I would have eternal life with him. It couldn't be any better. And that's what he talks about there. But it means giving ourselves up to him and letting him take over. And that leads to holiness and eternal life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is... The, first, the verse I'll almost end with. How's that for you? I only, I'm going back to 1 Peter and just end with a statement there. But 12, 1 and 2. You probably know these verses, but Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve 
what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So he says, you've you got to get in the Word. You've got to know what God's Word says. You've you got to let it affect your life so that you can discern what God's will for your life really is. And slowly, God will begin to change you and change you. So if all this is true, he comes to that verse in 1 Peter that we ended with. He says, in all this you greatly rejoice. In all this you greatly rejoice. You have all of that. Praise God. In all this you greatly rejoice. Gracious Father, we're so thankful for your word. Make it change us. Use your word in our life through your spirit and, and convince us of changes in our life that are simply things we still do because we used to do them. We still want them. But you want us to be yours. We are all yours. We are not our own. Help us, Lord, to focus on that, to take this scripture and remind ourselves that you gave us an inheritance is so far beyond anything we could imagine that no matter how we live here, the best is yet to come. And help that to be something that causes us to rejoice that lifts us up, even out of the miry clay, so to speak, even out of frustration, depression, and anxiety, and other things. Lord, we know there are many things that can cause those, but through your word, you can lift us. Lift us through your word and your spirit. Help us to rejoice, to in the end say, I greatly rejoice. Thank you, Father, for this time in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to turn our hymn books. Tim number 610. Didn't have it opened on the right page. Give of your best to the Master. We're going to sing the first and uh, second verse. First and second verse. Give of your best to the Master. Give of the strength of your youth. Throw your soul's fresh glowing ardor into the battle for truth. Jesus has met with example. Dauntless was he, young and brave. Give him your loyal devotion. Give him the best that you have. Give of your best to the master. Give of the strength of your youth. Clad in salvation's full armor, join in the battle for truth. Give of your best to the master, 
Give him first place in your heart. Give him first place in your service. Consecrate every part. Given to you shall be given. As his oven son gave. Gratefully seeking to serve him. Give him the best that you have. Give up your best to the master. Give up the strength of your youth. Clad in salvation for armor. Join in the battle for truth. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Teach us. Help us to grow. Might we rejoice in the inheritance that we have. And might we willingly relinquish our lives to you. For our lives are yours. You bought us with a price. Thank you for loving us so much and for knowing us so well. We can trust you with our lives, Lord. Help us to do that in your son's name. Amen. You're dismissed. Yeah.